Welcome to That's Deep with Eden and Jess. Today is our special Mother's Day episode where we spoke both with my mom and with Eden's mom. Um, my mom Sarah and Eden's mom Susan. If we are to main maintain peace of mind, empathy, compassion, and boundaries, we must believe that everyone is doing the best they can. This week, Eden and, I, Eden and I recorded two episodes, one with my mom, one with Eden's mom. Both women are strong, kind, hopeful, intelligent, and value connection with family. Both women made choices that impacted our respective relationships. Each woman is unique, shaped by their family structure, time and place in which they lived, and the varied influences and experiences that made them who they are today. I love my mom. I am who I am in part because of her and our relationship has been fraught with tension, anger, frustration, and sadness. Life is complex. We all make the best choices we can for ourselves, given our mental, emotional, physical state, our resources, the tools we have access to. That said, none of us are off the hook. For as much as I believe that everyone is doing the best they can, I also believe that we are 100% responsible for our lives. And my mom's episode, she said, I'm sorry. What can I do but forgive? If I want peace and to move forward with my experience and toward a way of being in the world that permits me to keep boundaries and be vulnerable and hold compassion, love, and understanding for all, especially the woman who birthed me. That's strong. Probably a better writer than a speaker. What does it mean? I mean, there's forgiveness in there, right? Or, or thinking about forgiveness. It's one of those things that we all need. And just to recognize that even though our moms maybe weren't there for for us in the way that we would have liked they are human just like everybody else mm -hmm. just like we are yeah i like that line about doing the best that you can mm -hmm. with what you have or making the best decisions or even like making mistakes yeah sometimes you don't make the best decision given yeah. the time and the yeah. resources and all the things <laughs> sometimes you make a bad decision that happens. That yeah. makes us human. We do that. I do that. Um, yeah. And a lot of that resonated with me too. Mm -hmm. uh, as I read it and you were sharing it. Um, yeah. And we had talked about kind of that piece too. The forgiveness piece of it. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we try to? Why wouldn't we put effort into it? Right. 
Um, and we talked about regret a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. Relationship regret uh, on a previous episode um, was one that stood out with me and I think one that I applied to um, this exercise, mm -hmm. this, this thing that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, an empathy interview with your mother for Mother's Day. Right. And I think that was it for me is a lot of empathetic listening and understanding. Um, that's some of the stuff that I teach with human-centered design, is how to do that with another person. Even if you don't agree with it, or even if that's not your perspective or what you remember, it's theirs and what they're willing to share. Right. And I thought both episodes, um, kudos to our moms for sharing difficult yeah. things about difficult topics. Um, we talk about maybe how difficult it was for us to process and to, to think through and to reflect on, but also just um, we put together the outline on, on difficult things, leaning into difficult topics mm -hmm. where there is tension and maybe some trauma. Um, so I think that's maybe what made it different and difficult, but also applaud uh, you and I and our mothers for, for doing this, mm -hmm. for doing this thing. Um, and I think still kind of processing what it means in real time here with you. Yeah. Uh, I am at least. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's probably a more unique thing than we realize the holding of space for conversations like that, mm -hmm. especially with family members, mm -hmm. because it's harder when you're closer. Yeah. And we have a platform that allows us to do that yeah. in a way that's not confrontational, in a way that's not, uh, here's what I want to talk about. Um, give them a voice, give them a platform, set them up with some questions, um, and then listen mm -hmm. and try to feel what they were feeling during that time. Yeah. I chewed through some difficult stuff, right? Divorce and relationship. Uh, we talked about my sister's suicide. Uh, those are difficult things to talk about. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for, for being there and helping facilitate that conversation. I wouldn't have done it without this podcast and without this platform, I don't think it would have looked like that or felt like that. Yeah. And it was helpful and healing for me to have that conversation. And from what my mom said, helpful and healing for her to have that conversation. Same. Yep. Yeah. I too had that experience of, well, I mean, when we got to that, that part in mine and my mom's episode where we're, where it gets a little emotional and then you um, looking from the outside in were able to offer some perspective that helped us to continue to move forward with the conversation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is, <laughs> this is a very uh, potentially healing collaboration, especially in the context of, again, talking to family and um, working through um, working through some hard things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. I love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. I love you too, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you both.
welcome to That's Deep with Eden and Jess. Today we have Susan Myers, uh, my mother, on the show. We're doing a Mother's Day episode, uh, and we thought it would be good to have discussions with each of our moms. Welcome to the podcast, Mom. Thanks, Eden. Thanks, Jess. Uh, we'll jump right in. Uh, we wanted to start by learning about your upbringing uh, and kind of your childhood. Uh, and the first question is, what qualities did you see in your parents that you see in yourself? Well, that's a good question, and I'm glad that I have the questions. I appreciate that you gave me these ahead of time, so it's not completely cold. So I. Um, thought about this quite a bit and that what I came up with was qualities from my, both my parents really are they were both are both well my dad has passed caring and generous and so that was definitely a quality that I was able to see about them as human beings um, there's a lot of intelligence in both of them and um, I was thinking about my I think both of them also were uh, socially connected. They were involved in a lot of activities and in other people's lives. So those are the things that come to mind most. What was life like growing up? Uh, can you describe kind of the family and where you grew up and, and your experience there? Yeah, I grew up in a, a suburb of Chicago called River Grove. It's quite near O'Hare Airport. Uh, we say nine miles from the loop, meaning nine miles from downtown. Um, we landed at the house that my parents ended up living in for 40 years when I started kindergarten. So that really was the family home. I do have some recollection of a place before that as a younger child, but I think I recall it mostly because I've seen photos of it, but I have, you know, little bits of memory, but the real memories uh, started when I started kindergarten. And that would have been the year also that my youngest brother, Billy was born, 1961. And so we were then a family of six, my parents, my three brothers and myself. So as Eden has made in the questions later on, what was that like growing up as an only girl uh, right. with three brothers? <laughs> and mostly at the time, and I would even say even still, um, it made me feel special. We had uh, three bedrooms in the house. My parents were downstairs and there were two bedrooms upstairs, a big one and a little one. And of course I was the only girl, so I had my own room. And so this was this was a good thing. I was also the only um, granddaughter of my maternal grandparents, and that's Joe and uh, Laureen Fish, mom's parents. And that was a pretty special place to occupy in the world. <laughs> they made that a, a very lovely place to be. So, and I suppose there was all that brothers picking on you kind of stuff. But most of the time, I think it was to my advantage to be the only girl. And I'll go on with that because once you put a quarter in, I tend to keep going, is um, because I had that special birthright, I never experienced as a child and as a young adult a prejudice against females. I didn't experience it in the home because I had the opposite. 
-hmm. And I found that over the years and watching these dynamics play out in our society and in, with my friendships and so on, these are huge issues that women are, and I know they're issues, I, val I honor the issues that people have had to deal with with that, but I didn't have it as my personal issue. And I found that that has really colored who I am and how I am in the world. So that's an interesting thing to realize. So a, a sense of empowerment, a sense of, of you, you are good enough, a sense of you didn't know any different. This is the way it is. You have, you have power and privilege and rights and, and you're treated as a unique individual. Talk more about that. Yeah, even more so than the boys because they were one yeah. of three. You know, so I think I got it in spades that way, you know, that I was the daughter, the only daughter. And of course, I was second born of four. And you know how the birth order stuff is. They say if you're the firstborn of your gender, it's as if being the firstborn. You know, it's got mm -hmm. that, again, that power, if you will, of uh, privilege and power uh, as a firstborn. And so, yeah, and maybe, oh, like I used to, I made a fist like this. I'm holding it up. Like I tuck, I think because I was a cheerleader and so I tuck my thumb in and, you know, I get teased because, oh, you make a fist like a girl. <laughs> and of course, if you punch somebody, I guess that way you'd probably hurt your thumb, whereas if it's out here, you know, so there were things like that, like, oh, a girl, a girl, you know, that's normal stuff, I think. But I didn't feel it aimed at me. And I think, you know, you know, my dad, Eden, your grandpa, um, big in sports, and he coached the boys in um, Little League. That was one of his gigs. But I played uh, Chicago 16-inch softball. You know, so mm. I got to do stuff. I think I kind of have a little bit of tomboy in me because I wanted to keep up with the boys. And please my dad, you know, and that kind of stuff. So I, it wasn't like, oh, you can't do that because you're a girl. And the only thing that I never did get to do, and I make jokes about it, is I never got to go to the Chicago Blackhawks game for some reason. And I think my brothers did. I'm not even 100% sure they did, but it always seemed like some, you know, the boys were getting to go to the hockey games and I didn't, and truth be known, maybe I didn't even want to. But I, I tease about that now. But otherwise, there weren't a lot of things that that made it bad being a girl or the only girl. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any sisters, you see. Now, there might be something. That, so that's sort of related to this. Um, who am I to commiserate with? Who am I to do girly stuff with? Who am I to have girl talk conversations and a partner, a buddy a friend that way and so i think it did also color my life that i i am very comfortable with boys with males and now in my life very comfortable with females but i think it was a learning curve i think i had to learn how to be sisterly be sister-like although that said right at directly across the street from us in river grove in one house were three sisters and in the other house were four sisters. And so those were my childhood friends. And a couple of them were either my exact age or a year older. And so there were girls to play with. They just weren't my sisters. And so, yeah. Did they have um, then those um, 
female uh, friendships that you had have sort of an influence in a different way? Did it, did you, I don't know, um, learn different things from that experience well, from the female friendships? Yeah, I'm sure I did. I think I, I, you know, I didn't feel lonely for girls, you know, because there was always a girlfriend. But it, mm -hmm. it's only in looking back on it that I realized that I didn't develop. And of course, I had three daughters and one son. And so I watched then as an adult, as a mom, how sisters get to have the fun they have, you know, do sister things and, and stay up all night and whatever they do, you know, do makeup or, you know, anything of, of female, there was just, there wouldn't have been that in my family. So, and everything of that, that I would have gotten perforce, I would have gotten from my mom, right? She, she and I were the only females in that house full of guys. And so, you know, it would have been, um, but again, she's my mom, not my sister. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. What about, you know, influence from someone other than your parents and maybe you talked a little bit about that brother influence uh, friend influence as you think about kind of childhood um and, and through teenage formative years um, think back about kind of key people that influenced who you are or who you wanted to be yeah thanks for that question it's neat to reflect on that that um Certainly my certain teachers. No, I, I liked school. I did well in school. And so my, my school experience and that put me in, in the surrounds of adults who were teachers was very positive. And I could probably list a number of those and certainly specific ones who were very influential, but I just admired these people. I just admired most of my teachers. Occasionally you'd get one that you didn't like, you know what I mean? That whatever it was a personality conflict or they were weird or whatever, you know, how kids are making those judgments. But mostly I loved my teachers. I just loved my teachers. And then I had the blessing of having four grandparents. My grandparents, all four of them were alive through up into my 30s and so and then i also had great grandparents i was able to know physically you know in love know some of my great grandparents and and great grand aunts and uncles you know elders let's call them family elders but always uh closeness and certainly heavily influenced by all four grandparents Maybe elaborate a little bit on your what your relationship with family was was like. What is was that mostly positive? Everybody was super close. Of course, we got a little bit of we got um, uh, Mary's perspective, um, but from your perspective, kind of what was that like? I'll preface it by saying, um, isn't it interesting how we all see things differently? And Eden and I talked about that a little bit when he was here. We really have to honor that one person's perception of how things was 
could be very different from our own and it doesn't make one person's right or the other person's wrong. And so that's, I like to preface things when, especially I'm going to say something that's like part of, and if mom was here and she'll probably watch this, that part of the story that she told, I went like, whose family was that? (laughs) (laughs) Was that like, was that Beaver Cleaver's family or who was that? You know, you're talking about. <laughs> and that's just being gut-wrenchingly honest, kids, you know. <laughs> so, but, um, and, and in some ways, looking in at our family, you would have seen all that. You would have seen mom and dad and four kids and a house and cars and eventually a cat and people coming and going and all of that. You know, we, we were functional. And then I will also say from the inside, and I will have to, again, add my piece, I'm very emotionally sensitive. Mm. Way up at the top of the, you know, the percentage of being emotionally sensitive. And so, you know, from that person, from that perspective, I would have seen, you know, I remember not everything was that we weren't close. I can't say we were close. Mm. I would say we weren't close. We were functional. We did our things. We were, we did, you know, we were close in proximity, but we weren't close again, by my definition of intimate and communicative about deep things. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And you're describing yourself as emotionally sensitive. Is yeah. that is that you're you're describing that as a trait that you have? Yeah. 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 And describe describe what that means to you, and maybe what it meant growing up as a kid. You're saying that as a child you were emotionally sensitive, and you continue to be. So that's that's something that you maintain. Yeah, I think I would say it this way, even that things affect me very deeply. You know, I I don't have a a, like that layer of filter or aloof or whatever that filters all that out. If something happens, let's say if there was a, a conflict between family members, I would feel that. Mm -hmm. I would feel that. And I would, maybe it scared me, maybe it. I don't know, hurt's the only word. I remember uh, just being sensitive. I remember crying, you know, being a part of my normal behavior. And, you know, would any of the other people in the family even remember that? I really can't even say. You know, it would be curious to know what each family member uh, take on it would be. And... And I think because, and remember we, this was another thing that as I was reflecting for the interview today, a lot changed in those years. A lot changed between the generations. My parents were raised, you know, their parents in one way of relating, my parents in another, and then along comes our generation when people start more deeply communicating with each other. It became a thing to do that. Whereas I don't think my parents were that unusual 
in the way that they related or didn't relate or weren't open with their feelings or expressive or all that for their generations. I think they probably behaved similarly to others um, like themselves. And so again, when, when you're sitting here at age 68 and thinking about these things, it's going through all these layers of processing and so on, you know, versus what was going on back then. So I think looking in at us, we probably were a pretty normal and functioning family for those years, for the 50s mm -hmm. and the 60s. Mm -hmm. And then things became really come apart in the late 60s in Chicago, especially, you know, that's when every, you know, the world changed. Some people say with the death of, of President Kennedy, whatever, but those late 60s and beyond, everything changed, you know, even more so. So I, those were the years that I grew up in. I think my follow-up there is then how did that influence, how did the times, how did the culture change influence then? looking back at who you were growing up and, and um, as you're becoming an adult and, and seeing those things change or experiencing those cha things change. And maybe you didn't even know it in real time, right? That was just how things were during the time. Um, did, did the macro stuff influence who you were and who you wanted to be? I think uh, it's, I, I don't really know how to answer that, except I think things were changing so quickly that, you know, it, this is a silly example, but maybe it, it describes what was happening. You know, girls wore dresses to school. And then all of a sudden, and I was probably in, I'm going to say sixth or seventh grade, girls could wear pants, but it had to be pants suits. <laughs> this funky old I, I wish i had an offer halloween costume like this tan and pink and white plaid pantsuit <laughs> that i got to wear to school you know like now you would just laugh it would be a, like a clown suit but anyway that was so cool and then like a two or three years later you're wearing torn up jeans and overalls i mean you know the whole dress code thing just got blown out mm -hmm. of the water kind of thing so you know, you just try to keep up with, and and you can imagine as a parent also, you know, I now can see things through the eyes as a parent as you can, even that, you know, what are your parents going through when, when the world is changing like this? And, you know, women's lib and this and that. And of course, this is when um, friends of mine started using drugs, you know, experimenting with probably pot at that time, probably pills. I don't know, nothing like now. But going from nothing at all to more open experimentation, you know, and I didn't at that time because I would have gotten in trouble. You know, there were some, my, my home rules were pretty strict. And even though um, I might have balked at it then, I sure appreciate it now because it never was a consideration for me to uh, uh, take drugs or experiment with drugs at that time. Mostly, I think for my grandparents, it would have been, you know, a my grandparents that, you know, that whole level that we talked about having grandparents, that even if you were going to um, 
like push the envelope against your parents. I had such a respect for my grandparents that I wouldn't have mm. done it for them. And then we talked about teachers and that there were two things going on in my life growing up. I was a cheerleader and cheerleaders had codes of ethics. And I then later into my high school years joined the choir. And this was where a highly influential gentleman, uh, Dr. Takash, we didn't call him doctor at the time, but Mr. Takash, my choir director, he, he ran a, a clean ship. And so out of respect for him, you know, I remember making choices, lifestyle choices out of respect for grandparents and for teacher figures and for a loyalty too. If you're a cheerleader and you wear a uniform and you represent this school, this is how you behave. So, but you see all of that, that was sort of quivering on the brink of all that changing, you know, following rules. <laughs> so was there a shift ever for you in that? Um, where... At some point you stopped following rules, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, so then you go off on your own to college, right? And who, there's nobody there keeping track of you, you know? So you experiment. I didn't ever with pot then in my first college experience, I went to Millican University studying applied vocal music. I went there mostly because my older brother, Mike, also went there. He was in music there. It was a fabulous music school. It wasn't that far from home, Decatur, Illinois. And I got a scholarship and why not, right? And I knew my brother there, so it was very comfortable to go away. There we were, it, you know, kids drink when they go to college. And so I remember drinking there. I don't remember ever uh, getting into pot there. I think that had to do with um, singing. And it, it just wasn't happening in my circles of friends. You know, you don't really want to smoke pot when you're trying to make, have a beautiful singing voice. So anyway, to just move through that, because this might tie in, I dropped out of school in, after two years of school. My brother had graduated, okay. my roommate had graduated, and my accompanist, my beloved friend accompanist, piano accompanist, transferred to another school. And I kind of hit a wall, too. I had been studying music and putting hours and hours and hours and hours into practice and I just kind of, I don't know what happened. And maybe there were other things happening. Maybe there were ha things happening emotionally or back home. I really don't exactly remember, although I attribute it to that my brother was leaving, my roommate was leaving, and my, you know, my tightest circle of friends were, were leaving. I regret it mightily. I should have stayed with it and graduated. It was a fabulous you, school. You. It was a, yeah. So, and but Eden wouldn't be here if I did. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you, what, at what point do you say, oh, I should have not done that or done that when you look at your right. life? Because right. then, of course, everything would have been different after that. So, but going on with your question, Jess, and, and so then that found me back in Chicago, back at home and kind of hanging out with my high school friends who didn't go to college, um, living at home, start, experimented with pot then, worked for the United States Post Office, and 
after some months of that, I said, this is going nowhere fast. This is not the life I want to live. And I was in Chicago and I was hanging out with some friends and we took a bike ride uh, around the area that put us right out by O'Hare Field. And this was a bunch of hippie kind of friends into nature and stuff. And we all looked around at each other. We said, there is not one blade of grass or bird in sight for miles. Hmm. I want hmm. out of here. I don't want to live in the city. You know, I need out of the city. And so then I took off out of the city in 1976 by myself um, and headed into Wisconsin, Eden, and I was going to find a place and I wanted to go back to school. I felt like, well, okay, you need to go back and finish your degree. And so I toured around uh, the state, camped and so on, went to Eau Claire, went to, I don't know where else, uh, probably as far as La Crosse, maybe as far north as Wausau, whatever. And I just didn't figure out what I wanted to do. And I was coming home and I stopped in Stevens Point. Yeah. Were you with people? No, was I was just, alone. It was just you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had a tent, so, I had a, a cooler, I might have had my bicycle, I don't know, I had some stuff. I was in an old Fairlane car and I was 21 years old, or 20 probably, 21 maybe, 1976. And I, I, uh, something in Stevens Point spoke to me. I went to that park on the east side of town, Eden, I can't remember the name of it, and I just said, you know, this town feels right, and it had a university. It had one of the UWs there, or still does, of course, and it's a pretty good music school. And so I, I enrolled in school and was into school that fall. And so was Eden's dad. And we were both uh, non-traditional students because uh, we had both gone to school and taken time off of school and gone back. So we weren't the traditional freshman, sophomore, junior, senior age. We were both a little mm -hmm. bit older. And so Simon and I uh, were in a Baroque music methods class or some, not methods but a uh, history class that's where we met and uh you know the rest is history there we ended up eventually getting married and having three children and i eventually still didn't get my degree in music <laughs> but i got my three kids <laughs> so, yeah so what's been interesting about this, and I'm going a little off the, off the, um, the schedule or whatever, but um, is it's almost like every single person that we talk to that we have on has something of a adventurous spirit or adventurous mindset, or at least a little bit of a boldness, and. I'm not sure what the question is there, but m maybe just, I guess, did you just not have any fear around just going off on your own, kind of going back to that, I don't want to be in this, you know, concrete jungle anymore. I want to go and explore and find where there's some more green water, nature, um, there, there was no fear around that, or did you feel like you could always come back or 
what what it what was going kind of going through your mind there that's that's neat to think about that i i had a goal you know the goal was to be back in school by when school started and so Mm -hmm. and the goal the other goal was to be away from Chicago, but not too far away. You see, I didn't go to Colorado or I didn't go to, you know, Timbuktu or this or that. It was like, uh, and yes, so when you brought that up, there was that safety net was there because I wasn't that Mm -hmm. far from home. It's only four hours from home. And home was still very secure then probably, I don't even know, my brother Bill was probably still at home, you know, so the home nest, nothing changed there. And so, it, yeah, it wasn't that scary. I don't think the world was that scary. It certainly wasn't as scary as it is now. You know, doing that wasn't that radical a thing to do. And um, I, if maybe I would say I was lonely, perhaps. It might have felt lonely, but it didn't feel scary. I can't remember feeling scared. But I, I don't think the world was so scary back then. Just, you know, even now I think, well, what if uh, Gracie or Paxton wanted to take off in a car by herself and go camping and hang out in the woods and do that? You know, as a parent, you in this world, you might have trepidation about it. But I, it wasn't scary. And, and again, I, was go- I had a goal of a university. And this is interesting because Jeff and I talked about this today. One of my goals was to find a church congregation was to find a, a, a church family, a mm. place to go where there would be hopefully normal, safe people, you know, that I had that, I had church going in my background. And so I kind of felt that that was a place where I could find community and be safe. Let's go back to the marriage. Cause you said, and that was history, but that's, That's what we're here talking about. So maybe talk about that experience. Um, Certainly getting married at that time is still, and even today is still very traditional. So maybe you can talk about a little bit the value that you saw in marriage um, and then your family life, Um, of course, Eden and your girls. Yeah. So when I met Simon, he had very close friends and even this is the Zopals, the Arkins. Uh, I sort of fell into his circle of friends and uh, they were getting married or were already married and having families. And so this was um, something beautiful and something important to me, it felt right. And, um, and we conceived Jasmine. I mean, let's be straight here. We got pregnant, you know, so it's like, oh, okay. Now we're, I think, yeah, we, we conceived her before we were married. And so it was like, oh, okay. And traditional enough that at that time, I think, I don't know what everybody else did. It doesn't matter, but we loved each other. And it was like, well, of course, now we get married. And so, but we didn't plan, we didn't plan to start our family that quickly. And so, but 
family was very, very important. It wasn't like, oh, bummer. It was like, well, this is our circumstance now. This is what's, this is our life. And then of right. course, um, I, I miscarried then a couple years later. I don't remember the mm -hmm. exact dates of that, but then not so much after the miscarriage, we conceived Eden. And then 22 months later had faith. So see our family came and grew quickly mm -hmm. because we loved children we loved each, you know each other and this is and we valued you know there's something in here about values of marriage we we really valued the value of family of having family mm -hmm. and both yeah. from our own perspective from what we believed you know from our belief system and also from what the people our close friends around us were doing Right. And so, but that said, so then I'll, we'll get into the maybe not so pretty part of that is we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we were parents and Simon hadn't figured out his career. We weren't financially stable. We weren't, and our relationship wasn't stable. It wasn't grown whereas you know there's this model more i see it today is you get married you grow your relationship strong and then you have your children you know that's one mm -hmm. model and right. but we didn't ever have the time and the nor the maturity nor anything we were kids i was how old i was 24 i think when i had jasmine that's pretty mm -hmm. young that's young to, to take and then to have two more children after it. Anyway, Eden, this this kept me up last night, you know, that thinking about these questions and, you know, maybe some worry, some that, but also just all these memories that got stirred, realizing, and I had to write it down, that we moved 10 times in the six years between when Jasmine was born and when Faithy was born. Hmm. Wow. What at least 10? Those are the 10 the, I remember. What was the impetus for all of the move moving? Most of it was, and I'd love to hear Simon's take on this. Most of it, as I recall, and as I put the pieces together, was Simon's deciding what he wanted to do for his career. Because okay. one of the moves was to um, Sioux City, Iowa where Simon studied um, band instrument repair. There was some tech, tech college in Sioux City, Iowa. Um, the other, we, Jasmine was born when we were living in Marshfield. And so I think what took us to a cornfield in Marshfield, we lived in this old uh, farmhouse there, was uh, that Simon was working at the mental health institute there, Eden, one of the hospitals there in Marshfield. And then another move, we moved to Bloomington, Indiana when I was pregnant with Eden. Um, and that was a Simon going to school for a, a curriculum. I think it might've been nursing down there. And then we went back over to La Crosse, which is where Eden was born at home, by the way, it was an amazing birth. And uh, Simon was at school at the, the private college, Viterbo College, is that in La Crosse? Anyway, mm -hmm. all of that. It seemed mostly to have to do with trying to figure out what we were supposed to be doing, where to live, and what to do with our lives to successfully 
financially mm -hmm. stable raise our family. Right. And at some point we ended up in Amherst. I think that's my, my earliest recollection is, is Main Street in Amherst. Mm -hmm. And so then we bounced over to Iola before that. And I think Simon was working at the hospital in Iola. And that's now when Jasmine's starting to go to school. Now it's time for Jasmine to start school. And so, and I'm pregnant with Faith and that beautiful house on Main Street in Amherst came for sale for $56,000 or some, you know, by today's standards, out of this beautiful Victorian home. And I had started taking care of other people's children. I had, you know, I was now with three of my own, or no, two of my own, Jasmine and Eden, and pregnant with Faith. And and somehow I found out about this grant for $10,000 for startup equipment for daycare. Hmm. And I filed for the grant in Wapaka County and received all of it, I think, or all but $500 of it or something, and got all this amazing, wonderful, Eden, you must remember all that cool stuff from uh, Creative Playthings or whatever, all that beautiful stuff. And so that sort of set me on the road of being a daycare provider. And so when the house in Amherst came up for sale, it was the perfect home for this kind of stuff, this kind of, uh, I'm, I'm feeling tired, like the words, it's like, uh, I, hit a, I hit a wall there, this profession to be able to accomplish this profession in this beautiful village of Amherst, just up the street from uh, the school. And this was home for Simon. Well, no, Simon wouldn't have been Simon's home, would it? But Stevens Point was Simon's home. So it's like coming home to Portage County. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is where we, we sort of, that was the home. And that's where Faith was born. Not a whole lot later. We moved in in June. She was born 4th of July there. With the lady in the in the house next door, looking in out her window into the window where Faith was being born. <laughs> you had somebody somebody was looking in on the birth. Oh heck yeah! You know why wouldn't she? She's an old lady, and there was a baby being born next door. You know she she was a neat lady. I adore her. She and I don't think she ever had children. Alta, I think was her name, Alta Secor, Alta Secor. And, you know, we might have said something to her about the birth. She goes, yeah, I was, I was watching or something. <laughs> uh, anyway, so there we are in that house, and that would have been 1984. And now I was, perforce, a daycare provider. I had three children of my own and started up a daycare in Amherst, Wisconsin. And from there, then relationship with dad, um, there's there's a divorce there that happens a couple of years later. Yeah. And, Can you and talk I, about I, You know, I, I think you see all this other stuff that was going on, and I did mention openly that I, I doubt that we were spending much time on our relationship. Right. You know, it and this probably is a, a common thing, really. I, I don't know, 
but it's probably is quite common that you're focused on all these other things on career, on moving 10 times, on surviving, on having babies and so on and so forth. And, and we didn't ever really work on our relationship. And so, um, distractions and so on and some sort of it, you know i would blame if you will myself if there was a blame it was a choice of mine to divorce and i would say right now it wasn't like oh i got divorced because he was so bad or this was so bad it was just my own inability maturity willingness and understanding how to keep that marriage going and realizing that as much as simon and i are alike we're also very different and Eden might be able to say that better than anybody in the room um and those differences took us apart And that's not a happy thing to have to sit here and say. I could have probably said, mm -hmm. I don't want to do this interview because I don't want to talk about it because I'm ashamed of it. It makes me sad. So, but it happened. And so that's a part of, that's certainly a huge part of Eden's growing up and how that affected him and certainly Faith and Jasmine as well. And I was thinking and just going on fast forwarding, because I know you're not going to keep me here till five o'clock. I neither want it nor do you because we've gone long on this. But um, everything that happened after that, and I don't think I even realized it till tossing and turning, trying to fall asleep last night. Everything that happened after that was trying to mend the broken family. Hmm. Not consciously, necessarily. But it's like, okay, that happened, but I still love my family. I still want a family. How, what do you do? You know, so seeking out relationships, seeking out whatever it would be so that there would be, put that family back together again without getting remarried, you know. And I think by then, even Simon had met Vicky and he was on to another relationship, very beautiful and successful marriage that's 40 years old or something now. So, I mean, there wasn't even like, oh, you figure yourself out five years later, you get back together again and pick up where you left off, you know. So anyway, that's all I can really say about that right now without another question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean... Right, like this is the show, um, and I I really I appreciate you um, sharing that and being vulnerable there. Um, maybe maybe both of you can kind of answer both you and Eden can kind of answer that question of the impact of that divorce and maybe the subsequent um things that happened after that on your relationship um with each other and maybe with others in the family as well 
And who goes first? <laughs> I'll share just a bit, but it's, yeah, um, this is your episode and your interview. Um, I, I remember it, I remember um, having visits with dad and, and making it work for a little while there um, and being happy, um, even in, in the midst of a difficult time. Um, so I saw that you valued family um, and I was learning what divorce is and how it works uh, with custody and siblings and where we're living and where we're staying and what the rules are. Uh, but I felt love from both sides. Um, at least those are my earliest memories of divorce and, and what that shared custody plan looked like, uh, both in the same area, um, both wanting to make it work in difficult circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it, they weren't easy years and there was, there was no doubt about, you know, love and, and making it work both places. And I can remember those years, even when you kids were little and going back and forth and so on. Um, yeah, it's just messy. It's not fun. And so just, just continuing on with that, that I then remarried and had another child and that's Avalon, Eden's youngest sister. So I guess you would technically call her her half-sister. And then that marriage was a disaster. And I think that was one of those um, grasping at straws, uh, try to make try to make the family, you know, try to put Humpty back together again. And um, Avalon's dad, may he rest in peace, was not a nice person. And I that, that relationship I had to get out of. And when I did get out of that relationship, and this is just fast forwarding over lots of detail, I ended up moving to Colorado, to Boulder, Colorado. No, yeah. Ooh, it's getting hot, it's getting mushy in my brain. And, um, and there was a huge thing for Eden because at that point, Avalon and Faith went with me and Jasmine and Eden stayed in Wisconsin with Simon and Vicki. And so at that point, we had a real split in family, not in love, never in love, right, Eden, mm -hmm. but a, a situation where now you know, my kids' lives are, yeah, we're a family, but half of us live over here and half of us live over there. And so those were some challenging years. I lived in, in Boulder from 93 to 99. There was a, a a master plan, Eden, I'd love to hear your memories about this, that when Eden got to high school, he was going to move out to Boulder, Colorado. And maybe Faith was going to go back to Amherst to high school. But we were just talking. The kids were little then, and it was just this plan. And But I think that's what got me through emotionally being apart from Eden and Jasmine. That, well, but Eden's going to eventually move out here. And I can remember Eden, and I probably have it someday, uh, I... I I can remember the day when I got the letter from you that said, dear mom, I've weighed my options and I'm going to stay in Amherst for high school. 
what was... Yeah, I remember that. Uh, it, it's a difficult decision, right? A, a difficult decision for anybody, a difficult decision for me at that time. Um, and also, I think even when you moved um, or made the decision to move or were forced to move, uh, you know, just kind of thinking about that. And uh, I, I think um, Jasmine had decided to stay and Faith was young enough that she went with you and I was in the middle there as well. Um, so just decisions that you make at a young age or are asked for input on um, that you think about regularly and consider and don't want to hurt. Um, so, so difficult decisions that you're forced into given the circumstances of a divided family. Yeah. And it's really something that I don't have a lot of regrets. I told you I had the one that I didn't finish college, but I didn't, that I don't regret regret because of what I, what came into my life after that, but it wasn't that long ago that I looked at that decision to move and to split my family up like that. And I said, how did I do that? And so what we realize at some point in our life is the decisions that we make at certain times, you make for certain reasons. And that you, uh, wouldn't necessarily make that same decision now. And you have to live with that. You have to live with um, forgive, forgive, it calls for a lot of forgiveness for self and, and for each other, you know, because you say, how could you do that? How, well, at the time, I don't think there was, uh, uh, it felt like at the time, given the circumstances, that was the right thing to do. And I'm what not even just what was the reason for the move? Um, to start a new life and and to be in a, a place that felt right and comfortable, and if you know it was for the children as well, or felt like it was. And like I say, this it seemed like well, a couple of years where the kids are apart is worth this kind of a thing, mm -hmm. you know. I came across this meme this couple weeks ago, and we also did a thing this week, last weekend about forgiveness. And I just have to share this if I can. And it's been, it's on Facebook, you know, but there's some pretty cool stuff there and some stuff that gets you dart to the heart. Forgive yourself for not knowing better at the time. Forgive yourself for giving away your power. Forgive yourself for past behaviors. Forgive yourself for the survival patterns and traits you picked up while enduring trauma. Forgive yourself for being who you needed to be. You know, so it, it's like, it's okay to uh, look at your life and things that choices that you made and, you know, perhaps hurt people and, and, and make situations. But once that's done there, then it becomes about forgiveness. And Eden, we've talked about this. You, you told me you forgave me a long time ago for the the, the difficulty um, that was caused to your life from those decisions, and I believed you. 
And I also know that forgiveness is layers, that it, it's an ongoing process, you know, that you can still get these moments of of unforgiving or whatever, of just whatever life brings you and say, oh, you know, that I, my mom hurt me or I was hurt because of something my mom did or didn't do. And that's just life, right? There's not a perfect parent on the planet. And I'm just going to tie in one more thing. You had my, mo my mom here and I realized just this morning that the, for, the very forgiveness that I want and need from Eden and my other children, of course, I have to be willing to give to my mom. And that's just not something like I read in a book. That's something that I was like, oh, wow, I get that. I get that. So oh, well, you talked about my mom and my upbringing and this and that and all of that. It's like, well, just as Eden has to forgive me, maybe his dad, you know, I have those things we have to forgive our parents. And that's just an ongoing and, and Eden's kids are going to have to forgive him and so on. It's just a it's just a part of of living in a human body and having relationships and not being perfect. So. Hmm. And then, of course, I'll just go here. I'm going to go here because, and I don't know if you need, you'll probably have to put a alert, suicide alert or something. The worst thing that came of all this is that we lost our daughter, Faith, and Eden lost his sister, Faith. Uh, so talk a little bit about that. Well... What worse thing can happen to a person, right? What worse thing could happen to a parent? I don't know that there is. And so, and then of course, related directly to what we're talking about, just because we were just talking about it, how do you not feel that those decisions and choices that you made weren't part of the cause of that? And so there was, there it was and probably still is all that to work through and you know if you could do it over but you can't and um but it's not only about that either because we all know that faith's life and faith's cho choice to not continue living has all kinds of things about it you know there's all kinds of factors there but we are a family that has our survivors of suicide How do you process that? How do you how do you get through it? What has worked for you? Uh, you helped a whole lot in the beginning, Eden. At the very beginning, you were the stalwart. You were the faith would want us to keep living and to stay positive. You know, you held that place in our family for me anyway, and I think for others as well. And because I, and, you know, we talked about what is the value of family. And I told you, and it's true that having a family had the most value. That was the most val is the most valuable thing in my life. And so the thing that you give the most value to, you had a failure. You know, it's like, 
oh, just got an F in family. And I remember even you saying in your own way and, and whatever, but I, I remember this today, like, mom, you still got us. You didn't fail. You got us. You know, so the fact that there were others' children and the fact that there were grandchildren being born uh, is part of what gets you through, right? Mm -hmm. It's you, life goes on. And so you keep going on, you keep, uh, and, and lots of friends, you know, and faith, faith in God, faith in the afterlife, uh, practicing that big time and having friends who were a support system, a huge family, and lots of friends who uh, were and always are a support system for that. And now, this is 2010, so 13 years later, I also know a lot of people who've lost their kids. It's not a, it's not like you're the only one on the planet going through this experience. And so support groups and uh, support systems to get through it, uh, not through it, you don't get through it, to live with it and find ways to grieve. Um, yeah. 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 But those uh, first talk five about... years, go ahead. Sorry, no, first five years, go ahead, Mom. But we're just, I mean, you just chalk that up as to just a mushmash. For me, that's what it was. Five, it was five years of whatever, whatever you call that, you know, just total chaos and just making, you know, wading your way through it emotionally. And interestingly, I, so. I don't know what your question is, Eden or Jess, but I have to tell you, this is the perfect time to bring it in. At exactly the five-year mark to the day, Jess, you'll like this, I think, I started my yoga teacher training. I was, and I don't think, I, if I was thinking about that today, that I don't think I would have been able to do it much sooner. I wouldn't have had the emotional wherewithal to do it. And I can't even tell you how grateful I am that at that juncture that that particular experience came into my life. It was a, a life changer in such a positive way. So I'll hush now, but I wanted to add that piece right now because that's where we were in the timeline. Um, there's so many thoughts that I am having. Um, and I, I think that it's important obviously um this is part of the reason that we're doing this to talk about these things and to um perhaps give people some insight some tools some hope but also in a realistic way right because these things are not um there there's not no way to tie up in a bow loss of any kind um and I, it's probably it's interesting to me then that you had went through your yoga teacher training um five years after that five years after that loss mm -hmm. right um yeah because for myself um we lost twins in 2014 and i started my teacher training in 2016 so two years after that loss and 
it there is something certainly science-based about mindfulness it is a very real practical tool but there are moments that feel at times otherworldly in it meditation movement uh, just sort of this ritualistic um some of the ritualistic aspects of the practice i think can give some solace and i like mm -hmm. how you said moving not through or getting over or anything like that but like moving forward with because mm -hmm. it's never these losses which many of us most of us have experienced in some form or fashion it's never um they're always with us. Yeah. So we're never moving away from or moving on from, but we're always moving with some spirit of that person or those people or whatever. Yeah. And I want to just take a minute, Jess, and acknowledge your loss. And so my heart is with you with that. And I think that that piece that when people speak have the courage and the, the right place and time to speak of their losses that we really take our time and be with that it's as it's as important it's as real a now happening experience as you know what's the score of the ball game that's for sure and so i think it's it's a challenging thing when you've had the loss of a child or children to be able to talk that it's safe, that it's okay, that, you know, that it's a thing you can talk about because it's not easy, is it, Eden? I know at first in speaking of the loss of faith that, you know, everybody either starts crying or they stop talking or they don't know what to say or, you know, and it's, uh, and so then you stop talking about it. And so then you've got this thing, you know, this huge thing about your life that you, just can't talk about freely and openly. And so um, it just is, it feels so good. And I'm very grateful this, for this opportunity to have open discussion about this. And then one more piece about that is when people say, how many children do you have? And I say, I have four. And, or I sometimes say, I have three surviving, you know, but, but I don't say I have three. You know, so because you that that experience, that whole thing isn't gone. It's just part of your experience. It's just how do you how do you communicate it? So, yeah. But yeah, the yoga uh, definitely a lot of healing, a lot of healing on the mat. Um, and I didn't go. I didn't practice yoga for those first five years because I was afraid I'd cry the whole time. And I, I wasn't in a in studio. I didn't have a place to practice where I necessarily would have been okay in the corner on my mat crying. You know, I think I would have. Most yoga teachers, I would certainly allow it of my students. But it's it's still nothing. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. an art. So, but yeah. That last question in that section about uh, love and fear and lessons is to talk about your kids. Uh, 
what brings you pride about each of your children? And you would, you love that question, Eden. <laughs> that gave me so much um, joy to to have to think about it because it's it's so much a part of your life as a parent. But you know, when you get specific about it, um, I'm going to start with you because you're here. Uh, you amaze me, son. You right now, especially where you are in your life right now, I am so proud of you for where you've taken your life and you've not had an easy life. And you are uh, making choices in your life to, to do exactly what we're doing right here, to dig deep and to look. And it's not for your glory or your fame. I doubt you guys are making big bucks on this, but you're doing it to help other people. You know, the person yeah. that you yeah. have become, the altruistic, and you've always been like this. It's not like that part of you is new, but you're applying it now. You're making that your life, your your career, yeah. if you will. You know, this is what life is really about. And so I just bow deeply and laud you. And I'm so grateful to call you my son for that reason. I've been proud of you all along. You have this tenacity to uh, when you were a kid wanting to be a basketball player shoot a thousand hoops a day to practice you know and um and then as far as your your loyalty to your family the love that you've shown to your kids your stepkids and so on is just off the charts you know this loyalty that you have to the family and um and I'm sure to your friends and to other things, to your work and your accomplishments, academic accomplishments at school, your accomplishments with the company, and then the courage to walk away from that when you chose to. And so um, I could say a whole lot more, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. People, I'm Jess. I'm a bit, a wee bit of a thing. I weigh 108, so when I stand, that, I stand next to Eden, people go, "That's yourself. <laughs> you had that. <laughs> How'd that happen?" <laughs> and Jasmine, your older sister, she's a, she's, you know, all her gifts. She's a stunning human being in every way. She's a type A. I don't know. Is there like a type A on steroids? I don't know what you call that, but. Um, you know, she um, does a lot of things in her work as a teacher, as now a, a professional beyond teaching. She has multiple degrees. She's uh, like, I don't know, I think she's closed her circles on her watch for like three years in a row or something, you know, this like workout thing, you know, she's just tenacious with her her physical fitness. She's a mom also of three and a, a partner. And uh, I, she's very accomplished, very, very accomplished. And just a neat kid. And I forgot about you, Eden. You are so funny. I just love your sense of humor and that part of you that you can just uh, relax and be fun and be funny. You have such a marvelous and quirky and fabulous sense of humor and so it's not just all about you know success in that way jasmine is also just a very giving person she's uh, now working for nami and uh, has turned faith's mm -hmm. death into an asset to help other people and so 
Um, Faithy is off the charts. You know, Faithy was brilliant. Faith graduated from Smith College with a double degree in economics and math. She took math courses mm -hmm. that you guys, you guys and I, well, even you're pretty good at math. I don't know about you, Jess, but she could do math that would like blow your mind, you know, beautiful, caring, sensitive. Um, yeah, just amazing. One of those people, you know, I'll say it about suicide. People go, how could that person have taken their life? that person who lights up the room, that person who is so beautiful, so accomplished, so all of that, you know, she's definitely in the category of those people that, wow. And, you know, maybe too good for the earth, too good that this planet could hold her, you know. Anyway, and then there's Avalon, our, our baby of the family, born in 1990, and she's been through a lot. She was married and divorced. Her former husband died. She has two amazing children. She's single parenting, uh, just bought a house, and she does not give up. She uh, keeps going. She's funny, too. She's really funny. And she, too, is all about other people. All of you are really about giving for other people, that it's not about you first. It's about other people first. And that's my greatest. And you all love each other too. I was, I was, uh, I was adamant about that, that wanting my children to get along with each other. And even if each of you had a friend mm -hmm. over, I said, you still have to, you still have to be nice to your sibling when you've got a friend over. <laughs> and they're all very close and we're all going to get together in early July for the first time in a long time, all the kids and the grandkids in honor of my mom's 90th birthday. So mm -hmm. I really look forward to that. And I could go on and on with my pride about my kids, but yes, I'm very much a proud mom. I feel very, very fortunate to have um, Eden as a podcast co-host as a friend um and yeah yeah um teaching me a lot about caring being a more caring and empathetic human being genuinely authentically yeah. genuine you know it's just so genuine yeah thank you both thanks for sharing that um because that's important stuff to talk about it's it's important to talk about the hard things and it's important to talk about the good things and find balance in between um so thank you there are a couple other questions um that maybe we can end on that last section around energy and fun and hobbies um, mm -hmm. you're in florida now if you want to talk a little bit about what life is like there uh what are your favorite activities who are, who are the people in your life that are giving you energy today? Yeah, I'm, I came here mostly because my mom and dad were here. My dad was still alive. And maybe I had a sense that if I didn't be close to him before he passed, I wouldn't be able to. So, and my, and my brothers also live here. So my, my biological family is here and I just got tired of the cold. I'm not built for cold weather. You know, I'm a skinny little old lady and I just, I hit the wall uh, with, with the weather and 
came to Florida. I love the sun. I love the heat. It's and it's beautiful and all of that. Um, it's challenging here because of the political climate here, because it used to be it was mostly um, older people. Now this, especially the St. Pete, Tampa, St. Pete area, it's definitely uh, a lot of young, progressive, creative, wonderful people. It's a, a really neat place. I don't think I'd want to be educating my kids here, but everything but that, it's a wonderful place to live if you don't mind the heat. And so um, personally, I love the being by the water, by the Gulf, but also kayaking. You asked what I love, what gives me energy, love to kayak and um, be in the out of doors in any way and um, have a love for people. Of course, you know, Jeff, Jess may not that I, I have a wonderful partner, Jeff Taylor, and we are, uh, a, I, you know, I feel finally like my family's together. I feel like I'm in a place mm -hmm. where, you know, Humpty's back together. Jeff adores my kids and my grandkids and we're just a wonderful partnership. And so we get a lot of energy um, from and give to each other. And then, like I say, my mom's five minutes from here and, and the yoga practices are what probably give me the most energy of all I do have, except when I'm super lazy. Um, or traveling uh, a daily practice and I can't I could we could all go on and on and on and on about the benefits of yoga and as a yoga teacher although with COVID I stopped teaching mostly um, I the value of offering yoga to other people but being able to not sequester that gift and keep it to yourself but if there's any way to share that gift I did volunteer at the Bay Pines um, Veteran Center and taught uh, the yoga to vets, older vets. In fact, they were deemed uh, morbidly obese. That was my group and had marvelous opportunities there. It was chair yoga, which then has me now still teaching, volunteer teaching um, chair yoga. And so it's not something that you have to be a, a super duper yogi, all these things. It's making yoga accessible. And so I'm passionate about that. And I'm passionate that Eden is doing what he's doing with that. And Eden, I have some contacts I want to share with you about continuing bringing yoga to the people, you know, to all the people, mm -hmm. to children, to men, to big people, to everybody. So, because I just, I think it's an amazing tool to share. So. Awesome. And then that last question, uh, what is your philosophy on life or words of wisdom or advice that you would give to younger self? Have you had time to, to think through a response on that one? Yeah. How do you say that? And, you know, what's the elevator speech for that? And I have a great, I have a great joke I'll throw in. I'm, I'm reading Parker Palmer. I don't know if you know him. He's an amazing gentleman. He's a professor in Madison, but he's written some wonderful things. And he works with uh, students, of course, and people say, well, what's your elevator speech? Like, okay, tell me in five minutes, like how to make life, like how do, how do you get it done? How do you get it? What's the thing? And he says, if ever I can take the elevator, I usually take the stairs. He goes, my, my, my 
word about life is it doesn't come in in sound bites. It doesn't come in short mm -hmm. snippets. It comes in walking the staircase, you know. So I think using that, Eden, for the question is that life is a process. It's not, a, you know, there's it, it's a, a step at a time. And in yoga, we would say a breath at a time. It really comes down to that each breath. If if you're making some kind of if you're in motion and your intention is to do good and you just keep progressing. And even if you see if there's times when things don't work out like that, you go, okay, whatever. But I'm, you know, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and you just keep going. So staying in progress, a huge thing that came out of this whole interview and that Jeff and I live by is if you're talking about it, you can figure it out. If you're, if you can communicate mm. about anything that's going on, therein lies the success of, of being able to work through things. And so uh, that's been a big life lesson that I would say is really the success to life. And that if anything, that relationships are the most important thing. If, if there's ever a question about what's important stuff or time or this or that to look around and look at what is the relationship what how can the relationship be more loving you know making love and loving relationships the goal and then there's your work for life everything else is kind of detail you know? oh. so that's kind of it philosophy of living is love more love always and make make loving relationship happen as much as possible I love, I love that. I love that. Are there any other, anything else? Eden, do you want to share maybe some things that you um, appreciate about your mom? Uh, there's a lot that I appreciate about my mom. Um, yeah, I think, I think our ability to communicate has grown and, and to reflect back on difficult things and talk through difficult things and maintain relationship and um, realize that it wasn't perfect and it wasn't ideal and it was difficult and we had our challenges, uh, but we can forgive one another and move on from that and still love each other uh, and support each other through this time. Um, you love your kids, you care about your kids, you care about your family, you always have. Uh, I know that to be true. Um, I, I value and respect your intelligence and your candor um, and your ability to have conversation. Those are the things that stand out that I appreciate about you. Um, how supportive you've been, even from a distance at times. Um, you can still live in a different state and show love and appreciation and support. And I have felt that, um, and I love you uh, and happy mother's day. And thanks for being on this podcast. Thank you so much, Susan. It was a pleasure, pleasure. Look forward to every minute that we have together for the rest of our lives and, uh, 
hopefully have more and more of them as the years go by. So thank you for this, you guys, and thank you for what you're doing. Uh, you're doing marvelous work and I support you and yeah, keep doing it, keep doing it, yeah. Thank you.